spend some time just going into the scriptures back to Exodus 20 where we've been studying Exodus 20 and you'll remember the story as it's gone so far and God spoke the commandments from heaven verse Chapter 20, verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God. You remember we looked at it, that brought thee out from Egypt. And then he gave what is termed the Ten Commandments, which we looked at. And these were the principles in God. They always have been their eternal principles. Then I want to go to verse 19 tonight. They said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. People are afraid of God. You know, when God really speaks to a heart, and I'm talking of people, new covenant, old covenant, everlasting covenant, or any covenant they like to name. When it's God, it brings terror. It's interesting to notice that in the scriptures in the New Testament, when it talks of great fear falling on everyone, the same word in the Greek is terror. It's used as the same word of Peter when he was affrighted in the disciples when they saw Jesus walking on the water and they thought it was a spirit brings a terror to the soul. Great fear fell on the early church. There was a fear. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And without fear, true fear of God, fear of the holiness, the awesomeness, the majesty of God, no one can ever come to God. Because when God really comes, that's the first thing that strikes a soul, a tremendous fear. When I hear people say that they've come to a God who's all love, all grace, and they talk about it as though they've come to someone who's a familiar chum to them, I know they've never ever come near God. They don't know him, they're deluded. For I know the Lord of lords and the King of kings is mighty powerful, full of majesty. And the people said to Moses, look, we don't want him to speak with us. The reason, verse 18, all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. When people come into real encounters with God, they go the opposite direction. They don't go towards God, they go from Him. 
And it's interesting if you look in Revelation, I think it's 3, you'll find in verse 5 that out of the throne proceeds, and that's in the church age, that the apostle John saw it, lightnings and thunderings out of the throne of God. And it's a biblical base that God has not changed. God in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. He's the same God, the same way. And Christ was revealed at this time in the true way. And so was the throne of God. The people said to Moses, look Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear. And let not God speak with us lest we die. And you remember if you look at the record of it that Moses gave in Deuteronomy. Let's just go there, chapter 5. You'll find that Moses had some things to say about it. Moses, uh, in Deuteronomy, chapter 5. Deuteronomy, chapter 5. Verse 22. These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness, and with a great voice, and he added no more, and he wrote them in two tables of stone, and delivered them unto me. And when it came to pass, when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that you came near unto me, even all your heads of your tribes and your elders, and said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more. Then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that have heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived. Go thou near, and hear all that the Lord our God shall say, and speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake unto me, and the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there was such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that, I might, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, you find it once again mentioned Deuteronomy 18. Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 18. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, 
Unto him you shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet, from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou shalt say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. God said, I'll raise up a prophet. And of course, the true prophet is Christ. Man is afraid of meeting the living God. It's a natural fear. And when we come into the presence of God, there is a natural fear. If that fear isn't there, it's not God. There's an awesomeness. God is glorious. God is a consuming fire. God is a holy God. And I cannot approach him without a sense of his glory, the great awesomeness of our God, the great majesty. He goes on. And if you go back now to chapter 20, you'll find that verse 21, chapter 20, And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. You know, one of the things that mystifies me is that there's a thick darkness where God is. But the strange thing is, that thick darkness is full of the consuming fire, its thunder and lightnings, and yet I can see that people can come that close to it and cannot penetrate it with their eyes. God lightens and to a man who has no light, or God doesn't give light to, it's just thick darkness. He might hear the voice, but he cannot see. He might see the lightnings and hear the thunderings, but he cannot see. And yet to Moses, it wasn't thick darkness. To Moses, he could go up into that cloud. He could go up into God and speak with God face to face. But for everyone else that looked, it was a thick 
darkness. And I often realize that hearts can't see, can't grasp, can't perceive because they just have not had the way opened in. And so what they see, it's thick darkness. Somehow it's a gloom to them. There's a terrible darkness grips their soul. When God speaks, it doesn't bring light and life. They just see a darkness there. And they say to someone else, well, you go and find out. Come and tell us. And the people all looked and they marveled. And so it is today. Many people look and they try to draw nigh to God and when he does begin to appear, they run. A natural thing, very natural, when God comes, is for people to want to run for the door. I've seen them do it physically. I remember many running it's a natural thing when God's there to want to run. The false Christ that's ministered today is the one that's got his arms outstretched to welcome everyone and it's all love and all it isn't. Our God is a consuming fire. Of course he's love. But his love is so different from human love. They've totally misrepresented him. And the people looked and they beheld the darkness and all they saw was a thick cloud. They said, look, don't let him speak to us. But Moses drew near. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make with me gods of silver, Neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and thou shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. You know, it's often considered a mystery. Why this? And this is new covenant teaching. This is everlasting covenant teaching. This is not some teaching that passed away. For you'll find in 1 Corinthians 10 it tells us that it's all given as examples to us for admonition. And we need to see what God's really saying. First of all, he says to Moses, look, you've got to speak to the children of Israel and tell them, you shall not make with me gods of silver neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. Now they'd come out, as you remember, from amongst the Midianites, they'd come out from the Egyptians, and there was idolatry and worship of devils. And that is what bowing down to anything is. And the most valuable things they had was silver and gold. And God said, I don't want any form made 
And believe me, it's a form if you make a golden cross. It's a form if you make a, a, a crucifix. It's a form if you make a, a fancy table with covered cloth on it and you start bowing to that. That is an abomination in God's sight. Any of those things are abomination. God said you don't make anything. Nothing. I don't want anything of gold and I don't want anything of silver. You'll make no gods. Nothing to be worshipped. And God didn't want anyone to try and worship. If you go to India, you'll see they've got wooden effigies all over the place made out of trees. And if you went up to an Indian and you said, look, that's just wood, he'll say, well, he worships the spirit that works behind it. And I've heard a lot of people blasphemously turn around and say, oh, well, we don't actually worship the cross or we don't battle the cross. We worship, you know, the spirit behind it, which is just devil worship. God said nothing, nothing must man make that can be worshipped. Nothing should be worshipped. Nothing should be substituted. Nothing. Nothing at all. And anyone that substitutes anything, be it a crucifix, a cross and candlesticks, anything, a table, even the brethren, you know, to mention one, they've got just a plain wooden table. So, of course, you gather around the Lord's table. It's not the Lord's table. It's theirs. Doesn't belong to the Lord. He doesn't want their table. But, you know, we, we put names on things. And then they make a religious rite round it. And they say, ah, oh, well, it's the Lord's table. But if you look in Scripture, where do you find God laying claim to a wooden table? It's just as idolatrous as when the Pope gets his fancy incense and swings it around. I, I saw one in Spain where he was swinging it on a big kind of thing. That's just total idolatry. Or they get the Virgin Mary and statues of it. It's awful, evil. But we can fall into just as simple traps. You get a plain wooden table and you say, well, that's Lord's table, that. Treat it with reverence and, you know, kind of. Oh. I remember going to one Pentecostal church once and, and there I was. At the time. And he said, uh, Oh, I see you know him. Well, he upset us all here. I said, Oh, what did he do? He said, He went on God's platform up there. And when he was preaching, he insulted everyone. I said, well, what did he do? He said he took his jacket off while he was preaching. So I said, what? He said, you don't do that on, on, up at the altar. I said, why, my dear friend, you were lucky Moses didn't come. He might have taken his shoes off. And the chap looked at me. Well, he said, oh. I said, in fact, he's a friend of mine. I said, and, you know, he was probably hot. If you turn the heating down, it'll put his jacket back on. Oh, well, he says, in this church, I said, look, friend, there is no holy place. There's no place where God is specially. Doesn't mean because you go on the platform there's something special. There isn't. There's nothing. And people get these kind of superstitious ideas. God said nothing 
is to be made. It's terrible when you get a church building and you can get a non-conformist church building and people will still, you know, it's the house of the Lord. As though he needs a house to live in. He doesn't. The rain and the weather doesn't affect him. It affects us. We build the house for ourselves and then we call it the house of the Lord. And it isn't. God's not living there. He might meet with us there, but he's not living there. And I want to point out that he commands Moses now to make an altar before the tabernacle was ever erected, before it's ever built. The first thing he does when the commandments come is he says, right, now I want you to build an altar. Don't make any gods, he said, an altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and thou shalt sacrifice there on thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen, in all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. God gave the commandments at Sinai. He gave them and spoke them, and he made a covenant. Now the commandments weren't his covenant. The commandments always were and always shall be, and they apply for all eternity. And they never went out of fashion. But the moment he gave the commandments, he knew that man in his fallen nature couldn't keep them. He knew that man had no ability to obey. So the first thing he does, as soon as he's spoken out of the mountain, he says, right, now make an altar and sacrifice on it. The first thing God realized was they could never in their fallen natures keep my word and my law and my principles, make an altar. And so, right before the time of any of the rituals, before the time of any of the ceremonials that the Jews had, before there was a priestly office, God said, make an altar. It was totally outside of the Mosaic uh, ceremony. It was an altar that God said, you make it. And he gives, gives them some clear words about the altar. You'll find, firstly, I want you to notice about the altar, verse 24, and an altar of earth thou shalt make unto me. It's not to be fancy in any way. Earth is pure earth that God made. Earth is what man comes from. Man comes from the dust of the earth. God said, make an altar of earth. He didn't say make an altar of wood. He didn't say make an altar. It's of earth. An earth crumbles. You'll find that in the Hebrew... It talks about a crumbling. It's something that just crumbles. It's not something that's uh, really going to be anything permanent. Earth is just there. And God says, take that. He didn't tell man to do anything with it. He didn't say make clay of it. He didn't say make bricks of it, though man had learned to do that. He just said, take the plain earth and make an altar of earth. Now that was totally contrary to heathen worship. All heathen worship always made something fancy. God says, I want it so plain, you're going to go right 
back to the basic thing of earth. No pretension, nothing about it. Just get that mud and pile it up and make an altar. That's all. I don't want anything on it. I don't want any materials that you've worked on. I don't want you to make it in any special shape. I don't want you to work on it in any special way. God said you just make that altar of earth, plain and simple. And that altar was something that was raised up on which to sacrifice and burn sacrifices. And he said just make a simple altar of earth. Now how does it apply to me? Well, the strange thing is, when a man or a woman wants to worship God, the first thing he progresses to do, instead of being what he is, dust of the earth, he becomes religious. He puts on his guise. He puts on his voice. He puts on his attitudes. He puts on what he feels God would like him to be. And then he comes to God, not as he is, just dust of the earth, but actually comes to God as a total hypocrite, totally different from what he is. He doesn't any longer come as the dust of the earth. He comes now as a man whose heart is after God, who really desires him. You know, all the kind of rubbish people speak. It's not true. God says, look, come as you are. I don't want anything. If you're going to offer yourself, I want you to build an altar and build it in simplicity. I want it clean, I want it pure, and I want it with no pretensions. No fancy gold trappings. No gold round the ears. Nothing. Just plain and simple as you are. I want you to come that way. If you're going to offer anything, or you're going to come and build an altar, it must be of earth. And that's it. Just earthly. He didn't want anything that was manufactured by man. You see, really, in all our worship, in all our lives, we need to get back to one thing. God doesn't expect me to construct anything in which I can reach up to him. What he wants me to do is get back to what I really am. The altar was to remind people where they came from. When you start digging up the earth, you'll remember that's just what you are. Okay, God's breathed his spirit in, but you're dust. You're dust of the earth. That's what you were made out of. That's what Adam and Eve were formed out of. That is what you're going to go back into. When you come to make an altar, God said, you dig that dirt up, you dig that mud up, and you look, that is what you are. Earth. Now I can't come with spirituality. I can only come with carnality. I'm not a spirit. I'm a human being. I have a spirit. But basically, people say to me about dancing. I remember one person saying uh, that they wouldn't dance in a meeting. When the joy of the Lord was there, they said, you can't dance because you've got to be careful. So what have you got to be careful about? Well, you've got to be careful it's in the spirit. Said to them, my dear friend, if you dance, you're in your body. If your spirit's dancing outside your body, you're dead. I mean, you can't dance in the spirit. You are what you are. If I get up to dance and sing, well, I get up to dance and sing. I'm in the flesh. Now, I'm in the flesh, 
but I might not necessarily be giving way to the flesh and vent to the flesh. My spirit's inside. And my spirit actually expresses itself through my body. Thank God. If it didn't, I'd be dead. My spirit's locked inside this human frailty. And it's there. Paul said we want to put it off. There'll come a time when we're groaning and travailing. Do we put off this body? But it's there and it's flesh. So I can't come along and say, oh, well, I'm worried. You know, some, someone last week, I think it was a week before, a visitor came, you know, and he said, um, oh, he said, uh, terrible emotion. People were crying. He said, that's, uh, that's emotional. I said, tell me this, my friend. I said, if you're married, you'll know. How could you approach a wife and say you love that wife with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, without emotion? You tell me how you could do it. Ah, oh, well, he said, uh, uh, I'm not married. I said, probably the fact that you can't show any emotions, the reason you aren't married, no one would have you. If you can't express your emotions, little wonder no one's chosen you. They're smart. So, but normal life is an expression of my emotions. God gave me emotions, and God wants me to use those emotions. It's one of the ways of entering into a spiritual realm. I enter through my emotions. And if my emotions are locked up, then I can't reach into God. And you know, my emotions are part of this earthly thing, this, this altar that's been put there. I can't build it of something that isn't mine. God doesn't want fancy gold. God doesn't want silver. He wants this simple earthly thing and says, right, now, build an altar. What have I got to come with? Just what I have. Nothing else. Might not be pretty. I might be prettier than some, uglier than others, but, I mean, we just come as we are. We always try, though, to adopt a certain stance. I remember I used to, when I was first filled with the Holy Ghost, I used to go to a certain church, and I'd listen to people pray. And there were some people who had what I'd call a... a they had a refined manner of praying to put it in the nicest terms, or to be truthful, they were just plain religious. And they would go, and, and their words that came forth, they could pray around the world one way, back the other way, and then over the top and around the other side. And you'd listen to them, and I'd think, dear, oh dear, I can't pray like that. And you'd, you know, then pray. My only prayer was, oh God, shut them up after a time. I got so fed up with hearing the same old thing week after week, week after week, thought, Lord, you know, I can't stand this. It's driving me crazy, this. You know, couldn't you shut him up? Here we go again. And I could almost time that, you know, when we'd be in China. I knew from the time the guy started, well, it takes about six minutes to get to China. Here we are. We're, we're through, and you know, we're through India. And, and you'd almost knew to the moment every week. Say, and could you imagine the Lord's in glory? listening to a load of claptrap. I mean, it was religious claptrap. And God said, look, I don't want anything pretentious. I just want it of earth. 
Don't ever come to me with pretension. Don't you build something. What God wants to hear isn't something that's pre presented in a nice manner. God just wants to hear the cry of the heart. He just wants to hear what's really deep down inside. If it comes out with only, oh, that's prayer. If it comes out with wonderful words, and yet the heart isn't in it, God's not interested. If it comes out as a groan, that's good enough for God. The Spirit makes intercessions with groanings that cannot be uttered. Sometimes there's only a groan inside. You don't really know what you ought to pray, the Scripture says. But the Spirit maketh intercession. And we have tried to make a way to get into God with pretension. And God won't have any of it. He just ignores you. In fact, he just turns his back and walks away, literally. He just won't listen. He won't listen to that. And he says, you've got to make it of earth. Of earth thou shalt make it. The reason is, no flesh shall glory in the presence of God. And God won't accept flesh. I know you're in the flesh. In the sense your spirit's in this body. But he won't accept a fleshy exhibition. He won't accept fleshy words. He won't accept something that sounds right which isn't really from the heart. He knows. He knows what the heart really says. What the heart feels. He won't be deceived. And he won't accept anything. I found that I tended to, in my early days, to try and pray what I thought God wanted to hear. Haven't you ever tried that? You know, you want to please God, so you better tell him. That's what we do, don't we, with other people. Have you noticed that when you're friendly with someone? Go up to your, you know, you see your wife. She's gone out and bought a new dress, and she goes up. She puts it on, and she comes down, and she says to you, well, what do you think? Now, what does her husband say? How much did it cost? <laughs> no, you ask. Well, a question like that, you wives. Now, what do you want to hear? My, that looks lovely. I like that. Now, that's what you want to hear. And, and somehow, we almost treat God like that. We think, well, you know, <laughs> what does he want to hear? That's what I'll pray. Oh, yeah, he wants to hear, I love, Lord, I love you. He wants to hear, is wonderful. Lord, you're wonderful. And all our prayers aren't what is the real groanings in our heart. They come about and we're speaking what we think God would like to hear. And then we tag it in Jesus' name, amen, and call it prayer. It's a load of flattery. And it's totally untrue, generally speaking. Because people are saying what they think they should be feeling. Have you ever done that? We all do that to begin with. Do you know children do that? If you've ever noticed, I remember my little daughter, Rachel. And she used to pick up phrases. And she'd like phrases. And she picked up a little phrase one day. My wife had a phrase of saying, I don't think so. So when the kids would say something, she'd say, oh, I don't think so. And one day my daughter marched boldly into the lounge, tapped me on the knee, and looked at me with a smiling face and said, I don't think so. I said, well, you don't think what? She said, no, I don't think so. I said, well, look, lovey, what don't you think? No, I don't think so. 
Now, that's how we treat God. Lord, you're wonderful. What did you say? Lord, you're wonderful. And then we want to hear the response. Well, isn't that clever? He said, he was <laughs> I was wonderful. Oh, that is nice. And we, we have almost a childlike simplicity. We learn a few phrases and we think, I remember praying for people. And I'd pray for them and if nothing happened, I'd try a new phrase. See if that worked. And if that, have you never done that? Uh, try a little phrase here and a little phrase there. And, and, you know, is this the method or is that the method? Maybe if I pray in this way, it'll work. Because I prayed in that way and it didn't. Maybe it's different form of words God wants. Uh, maybe I haven't quite done it right. Maybe I should have asked in Father's name instead of Jesus' name. Maybe I should have gone to the Son and asked the Holy Ghost. I don't know. Uh, and we go around in our minds and we think, now how can I get this? God says, just come, you know, an altar of earth. No flesh, just an altar of earth. Let's get down to the simple basics. Nothing of man's construction. Nothing of man's make. If you turn to Titus, you'll find it. Just keep your finger there. Turn to Titus 3. And in Titus chapter 3, Titus 3, Titus chapter 3, and uh, verse 5, we read this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's nothing that we do that saves us. It's not because I come to God I get saved. It's not because I respond I get saved. It's not by any work of righteousness that I do that my salvation comes. And yet I find so many people, when you really nail it down, they're trying to get to God by what they do. Now, I cannot get to God by what I do. If I want to meet with God, there is no way I can meet with God. I can't get there by my efforts. There is a way to come, and we're going to come to it. But it's not the way man thinks. A work of righteousness is not going to get me to God. It's no good my trying to get my life so right that then I can meet with him, because I'll never get there. It's no good my trying to deal with my life and clean it up and get it into the shape where God will meet me. Because I'll never arrive. I basically and you have a sinful nature. My whole being is vile. My whole being is in rebellion against God in my natural man. 
So there's no way with my best endeavors and all my righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God and anything I do won't get me there. And so in Titus you read, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And I want to tell you that every day, every moment of my life, I still come on the same basis. I never come to God on the basis of what I've done. I never try to get to God on a basis of how I've lived today. What I've put right in my life, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because that's not my basis. I come appealing to a great God of mercy and grace. And I say, Lord, you know, you're so far above the heavens. How could I think that I could get myself right to come to you? I couldn't. But what I can do, I can come in the same way as I always came, according to his mercy. That's how I come. Say, oh God, you know, <laughs> you're a wonderful, merciful God. That's how I come. Every day, I come only on that basis. I can't come on another basis. I meet with him on that basis. I go on in God on that basis. And I believe that when I step out of this body, I'll still be on that basis. Oh yeah, I'll be like him. But when I look at him, I'll say, oh God, it was all your mercy and grace. Calvary. <laughs> I didn't do anything about Calvary. Except spit and reject. Your son bled and died there. It's Calvary. Calvary. And yet, you know, our hearts deceive us and we end up trying to save ourselves by our works. After we're saved, we try and progress in our spiritual life by what we do. So subtle, the turn comes. And yet the truth is Calvary. That's the only place I want to go. Calvary. If you go back into uh, Exodus 19 and look at it, You know, sinful man can't offer anything to God. He can't prepare anything for God. He can't do anything for God. And look at this. Um, he says, Make an altar of earth, thou shalt make it unto me, and shalt sacrifice on thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. If you look into Genesis, you'll discover, and we won't go there, but in Genesis... Cain came, and he bought the fruit of the ground, the fruit of his labors. He had tilled the soil. He was a tiller of the ground, the scripture tells us. So he bought of his crop and tried to offer it to God. It was what he had produced, and God rejected it. He didn't produce and bring the best of his crop, that's true. But God rejected it basically because God had cursed the ground. God had cursed the ground in the time that they were driven from the garden, Adam and Eve. And they'd cursed the ground. But you see, Abel brought life to God 
and sacrificed life. Cain bought the produce and tried to offer that to God, and God said, I won't have it. But when Abel came, his sacrifice was a firstling of the flock, and God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice because Abel hadn't given life to that animal. Abel hadn't been involved in anything about that animal other than seeing it birth. And he took that which had life and he slew it and shed the blood. And without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And I cannot come on a basis of anything I do or produce or what the earth and the ground has produced. That cannot be the basis on which I come to God. It must be the basis of what Christ has done the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. Every time I meet with him, it's on the basis of the shed blood. The altar is coming as I am, the earth, and then the shed blood. I can't come any other way. And then in verse 25, you read, he says this, And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. If you're going to use stone, you mustn't touch that stone. If you raise a tool and do any work upon it, you have polluted it. And God won't accept any sacrifice from it. Do you know he calls hearts stony? Be careful you don't try and work on your own heart and then offer God a sacrifice. Don't ever get anything in your life and try and work it up so it's acceptable to God. You can't. Only he can change. Do you know why it's earth? Because when I come to God, I must come to him in the dust myself. That's why it was an altar of earth. I must come to him as a lost sinner. Paul wrote at near the end of his life, he said, of sinners of whom I am chief. He saw himself as the chief of sinners. And the nearer we get to God, the more we see our sinfulness and wretchedness. And the more we understand the wretchedness of our souls. You say, but surely we're sanctified, we're set apart. True. But when the light of God comes, what I see is all that is contrary to the beauty of his presence. When he draws near, what I sense more and more and more is the exceeding sinfulness of sin and you begin to hate everything that's spotted by the flesh. And your heart hates and loathes those things. And the nearer to God you get, and the more his presence comes, and the more he melts you, the more you're aware of the terrible, terrible evil of just yourself, not sin. Sin's dealt with at Calvary. The blood cleanses. But what about self? What about you as a person? What about your nature? When you get near to God, what you see is that awful thing. You say, well, can't I be delivered from it? Of course you can. When you step out of this body, I'm sure you'll be delivered. But until you step out of that body, 
you won't be. There is no deliverance. That's why Paul wrote about groaning till you put off this flesh. There is a sense in which, now I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about that which is your natural desires. Those things that are drawn away by the enemy and the enemy seeks to draw away where temptation has a hold. They're always with you and those natural desires will be there till the moment you step out of this flesh. There's no way to conquer them. There's no way to be delivered of them. That's what the Catholics tried. That's why they have flagellation and all sorts to try and beat down the flesh. You can't. You, you can't destroy the flesh. That's why they become celibate. They think by doing that they can stop having sexual desire. You can't. You're crazy. It'll still be there. There's nothing evil in it. It's a gift of God. Rightly used, it's a wonderful gift of God and to be enjoyed. The, the, you know, the normal things and normal passions and desires will always be in your body. And they're the things which will bring temptation. Now, if you want to be free of it, I've got news for you. Jesus wasn't. It says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Those things will be there. Those weaknesses will be there. I'm not saying you'll live without sin. If you sin, not when, but if. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for your sin. But don't think there'll ever be a time when you'll be so in the spirit that you won't have the things of the flesh. If you ever get there, let me know and tell me how you got there. And I'll pray for you that God will return your spirit to your body. Because you... You know, there'll be something wrong. You'll be a disembodied spirit. It's there. But that doesn't mean by that, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Of course not. But that doesn't mean that the temptations and the dealings and the things haven't brought me into a perfection where I'm set totally free. There's no way to get free of my body until I die and then I'll just step out of it into glory and when I step into glory well, I'll find I'm like Jesus up to that point there's going to be a conflict I've got my human nature I've got my humanity and I've got my spirit inside and my spirit groans and travails it does I, I want to put it off I'd like to be free as a bird I'd like to never get tired I'd like to have fullness of joy I'd like to be able to see in the spirituals all the time to live in the glory oh I'd love that but I can have times of it and then I come down to earth and there's this old body around me tired, decrepit, aging graying fattening, whatever, whatever it is and, and there's a body, it's round me and you've got one round you. Now, it might not be in such a state of disrepair, but you've got one round you. And there it is. Now, there's no way to get free of it. There was a time when I remember a, a brother used to preach, and I used to listen to him, and he was always talking about an experience up there that you could enter into. So one day I said to him, tell me, have you had that experience? He said, well, no. I said, do you know anyone who's living in it? And he said, no. I said, then shut up preaching it. Because you can't minister in faith something that you aren't in. How can you bring people into something you haven't got? You can't. 
And how can I take people and tell them, well, you can live in the glory, you know, in the third heaven. Or try the seventh. What about the 21st? What about it? Now, how can I tell people that and minister that in faith if I'm not living in it? You can't. That's why Paul, he said when he went up into glory, he didn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body. He went up in a vision. But what he didn't do is proceed to live there. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. But what he wasn't is translated with his body. Enoch was translated. He walked with God and was not. For God took him. But for the rest of us, we have a body to come back to. I can get in a meeting. I can seek God's face. I can open my heart. and It's wonderful. Really wonderful. And I can go out the door and it's cold, biting wind. And I realize I'm in my body. And I get home and I realize I'm tired. Physically, I'm tired. I'm in my body. There's no way to be beyond your body. Just can't be. And so, Moses, tell him to make every altar of earth. Pure and simple. Nothing pretentious. Just down to earth people. That's what I want. Every sacrifice on the earth. Nothing big, nothing fancy, earthy. And then he goes on and he says, uh, Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar. Now one of the things that's amazing with human beings is they want steps. You always want a way in. Now, come on. How many people would like the one, two, three of how to get into God? As long as... Now, if I told you what the steps were, you'd step them, wouldn't you? God says no steps. Now, here's an altar with no steps. There's no way of getting up the altar. There's no way of getting to the altar. No steps at all. And that's the way it is when I approach God. There are no steps. Nothing. Say, so, well, that's, that's impossible. And there's no human contrivance. There's nothing a man can do to get to God. No way he can approach him. We like to believe there is, but there isn't. Philippians, if you turn to Philippians um, chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 7. I'll tell you the steps that God has made to get to you. But don't think there are any steps you can have to get to God. But these are the steps God took to reach you. Firstly, you'll find it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Firstly, Christ made himself of no reputation. Secondly, he took upon him the form of a servant. Thirdly, he was made in the likeness of men. 
Fourthly, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And fifthly, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And there are five steps. That's how God reached man. God reaches us. We don't reach him. The Lord saves us. We don't obtain our salvation. So I'll read them again. Firstly, he made himself of no reputation. Secondly, he took upon himself the form of a servant. Thirdly, he was made in the likeness of men. Fourthly, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And fifthly, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The five steps with which the Lord God breached the great divide between humanity and deity. That was how the great divide was breached. Now there is no way that I can breach it the other way. God has come down to man and God said, I'll raise up a prophet, and he did. Like unto yourselves. Don't talk to us, God, they said. Don't talk to us direct. Moses, you go and talk to God. Don't let him talk to us anymore. And God said, all right. He said, you're well spoken. I'll raise up a prophet like unto you. And that prophet was Christ. And God brought him down by five steps so he could reach to man. And man had a way into God, not by reaching into God, but by God coming down to man. Christ came down. Christ became a man. He took on the form of the man. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And God brought life to us. We cannot climb steps to get up into God, into life. There are none. Every provision is God's provision. Christ is my salvation. Christ is my redeemer. Christ is my savior. Christ is my ransom. Christ is my strength. Christ is my deliverer. Christ is my God. He is my all in all. And I know of no other savior, no other redeemer, no other helper but Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit has come to reveal Christ to me in all his manifestations. He's not come so I can say banana backwards and call it tongues. He's not come so I can prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord. Though those things accompany his presence, they're wonderful gifts, thank God for them. But the basic thing he's come for is to manifest Jesus Christ in my flesh and to manifest him to me. That's why he's come. Thank God for him. But he's come for that and that alone. And we've gone the wrong way. We try to get steps. How do I do it? How do I get filled with the Holy Ghost? Well, I'll tell you. Simple. All you do is A, B, C, and D, you see, people say. Well, you get filled with a ghost, but it's not so holy, I've found. That I have found. You can say speak in tongues but I don't find there's any change inside I find that the only way I can ever come to God is when I come in the dust nothing in my hands I bring nothing and I find every day I have to come on the same basis and whatever I want from God it is always the same nothing 
I have nothing, I am nothing, I can do nothing. Nothing. I can't live on yesterday's experience, I can't live on yesterday's glory. I've got to come with total barrenness and emptiness and say, Lord, I'm like a beggar, here's my cup. Please fill it up. In fact, I feel I need to be saved every day. You say, well, weren't you saved yesterday? Yeah, I was saved 19 years ago. But I was saved today. I was saved yesterday. I was saved the day before. And in fact, I find my salvation's increasing because Jesus, in his nature as a redeemer and savior, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's ever saving me. He's ever redeeming me. He's ever healing me. He's ever being my strength. He's ever changing me. And it's a continuous work of God. Say, so, well, don't you repent? Yes, I repent. In fact, repentance is an attitude of heart. And guess what? It's a gift of God. He's given it to me. And I find that if I try and repent, I can't. I remember people used to come to me years ago and they say, Michael, we find you're austere and harsh. Terrible accusation to make of someone so gentle as I. You're harsh and you're austere. And you know, I'd go and I'd think, yes, Lord, I am. And they'd say, if God really is going to use you, you've got to change. So I'd go to God and I'd say, look, Lord, I'm a terrible personality. Look, look at what I'm like. And, you know, I'd pray and I'd, I'd try and repent of it. And, you know, I'd ask God to forgive me, cleanse me, forgive me for that. I really shouldn't be like that because everyone tells me I shouldn't be like that. And one day God said to me, and it was a great revelation to my soul. Lord, I said, I don't want to be like this. It's terrible. Why not? Well, um, <clears throat> well, everyone says I shouldn't be like it. Why not? Well, because they say it's not like you are. Why not? Well, Lord, you know, it's not, well, it's just not the way they think you are. But, you know, God's so different than man thinks. They lied to me. I thought Jesus was meant to be all sweet. They lied. Not a bit like that. And so I was trying to take steps to get to God. I thought, if only I could get this changed in my life and that changed, then God would accept me. And I found those things didn't bother God at all. He wasn't upset by them. In fact, he didn't feel they were sinful. But I found things that he puts his finger on, he gives you the ability to repent of. That's why a lot of people spend their time trying to get rid of things in their life that God's not working on. And that's a terrible hard job. It's taking a chisel to the earth and trying to chisel away a bit. And have you ever hit the earth with a chisel when it's all soft? I mean, you don't make much impression. It just kind of goes through the earth and you pick it up. and You've not made a hole even, really. The earth just crumbles back in there. Nothing gets done. And you see, God's not out to shape us the way man wants us shape. He said, my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. And what we think God wants and what we think is acceptable to God, God's not very pleased with at all. He has a totally different opinion. And yet, 
We spend half our lives living according to other men's opinions. It's not God. It's what man thinks. We worship what man's opinion of God is. In other words, they've changed the deity into something like unto man, says in Romans chapter 1. And they tell you that's the way God is. And they don't understand. He's totally different. It's interesting that our first fathers, when they came and they sinned, the first thing that they discovered when they took of the fruit of the tree, they wanted to be made like unto God. Now, being like God, isn't that a desire in your heart to be like Jesus? He's God. Isn't that a desire in your heart? Now, Adam and Eve had that desire. And so a little serpent came along, and he said, you'll be like God's. Uh, you need knowledge. You need understanding. How about the fruit of this doctrine? Uh, it's called the tree of knowledge. You'll know what's right and wrong when you eat of this tree. I mean, we've got it all worked out. I mean, you know, this is light. You'll have light when you eat of this tree. Your eyes will be opened, you know. When you eat of this, your eyes are going to be so open. You'll know. And that's how most Christians go. They go and they eat at the wrong tree. Instead of going to the tree of life, they go to the tree of knowledge. Knowledge of good and evil. They say, well, what I need is my eyes open to see. If I could see and know what's really of God, then I would understand and could come into God. But that's not the way in. And so they ate of the tree. Be it an apple, or be it a fruit, be it what you like. Although it is interesting if you read the Song of Solomon to discover that uh, there was an apple tree, but I won't go into that because too many will get sidetracked but the thing is there they were and they said we're naked when their eyes were open so they sold themselves fig leaves and when they sold themselves the fig leaves they went and hid even though they've got aprons of fig leaves they went and hid in the bushes when they heard the voice of God walking in the garden it tells you in chapter 3 of Genesis and they said, we did fear, for we were naked. Now that's a wrong type of fear. They feared God because their nakedness would be revealed. And it's very, very interesting. If you look in, back in our little chapter in Exodus, chapter 20, you'll read in the verse there that he said, don't make steps. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar. That thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. And you see, one of the problems is trying to climb up to God, trying to work a way up. The only thing it brings you to is shame. If you're ashamed of what you are, and you're ashamed, of yourself and you have a shame before God and you feel you can't get through and you get to despair I'll tell you what you've done you've tried to climb up by steps to God's altar and that's folly all it does is reveal your nakedness and you're afraid and you hide 
You hide what you really are from God and you pretend to be something else. But God wants us to come as we are with our needs, with our selves, with no pretensions. I just come as I am. Every day I come as I am. God's changing me. God's working in my life. God's doing wonderful things. Well, I think they're wonderful. God's done so much. He shows me new things. His presence comes in a real way. I've seen his glory. I've seen things happen. And I'm thrilled with the things that he speaks to my heart. But do you know, every day I come the same way. I say, Lord, I don't deserve anything. Every day I seem to get further and further away from what I feel you want. When your light floods my soul, what I find is there's so, so much, oh God, that I feel needs changing and transforming. He's done so much, and yet as I come into his presence, I find there seems just a lot more that needs doing. So much more. But I come with the same basis. I only want an altar of earth for my king. I don't know of any other altar to come to. I don't want another altar. I'm of the dust of the earth. And that's the only altar God will accept. So I come with my face to the dust. As someone who says, oh God, this day I need saving. Just that bit more. Drawing that bit more. But I need your presence. I need your presence to change and transform me. Lord, I can't do anything. I can't change myself. I can't mold myself. I can't make myself. You said, whomsoever will may come. So I just come. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. For you. And when I come like that, I find there's a rich banquet. And I find he's ever so gracious. He cleanses. He refines. He moves me in. And I see his beauty. And when I gaze on his beauty, I forget my ugliness. I forget my vileness. And I get caught up with a vision of him. I see other people who can only see the black cloud. And I wonder that they're so blind that they've never drawn near. But oh, to come to that Christ. You say, well, surely that's what everyone does. Would to God it were. He's so beautiful. Just look upon him. So, so beautiful is he. And yet how many hide? How many look for methods to get in? Ways to transform themselves? I can't. 
as that song opened my eyes, I want to see Jesus. Lord, I don't want to pretend anything or be anything. I just want to open my eyes. But I see I can't. For there's a thick cloud. On the mountain top. There's a thick cloud. I see there's those. Who've gone up. The mountain. There's those who've learned how to climb that mountain. But oh Lord when I look. I see there are no steps. How did they get up? I see there's no way really. How did they get up? I see some who have tried to climb that mountain. Their bones lie upon the hillside. They never made it. The higher one goes, the more are those who collapse. But there are no steps. No steps to my altar. There's no way in. And yet how man wants a way. But there's a way for him to come down to you. And carry you there. Up into that place. The place of his presence. The glory and beauty to behold. To fall in love with him. In reality. To know him and love him. It's a place where he'll open your eyes. Where you can reach out and touch him. Where for the first time because you can see. Really see. You can love him. Open my eyes Lord. I want to see Jesus. I've spent so long looking at the vileness. I'm becoming more and more vile. But, oh God, I want to see Jesus. When I begin to behold that beauty, somehow my whole soul and heart is in rapture. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. That the thick cloud might go. That the beauty of the Christ of God might come upon my soul for the sweetness and glory of your presence might pervade my being open my eyes Lord I want to see Jesus I want to reach out and touch him and tell him I love him Oh, how I want to say it with all my heart and soul. How everything within wants to be able to say that. Open my ears. I want to hear you speak, oh God. Cause me to listen. 
and open my eyes. I want to see Jesus. How I want to see Him. Open my eyes. Is that the prayer of your heart tonight? Open my eyes. I want to see Jesus. I've looked for ways of meeting Him. I've sought to change my heart. But oh, where's the Savior? Where's the Redeemer who does it all? Where is He? Open my eyes. For when I see Him, the work begins. When I hear His voice, it speaks life into my soul. When I reach out and touch Him, I find that man of Galilee heals my soul even as it was 2,000 years ago. Virtue doth flow forth. Open my eyes. Open my ears. Open my being, O King. Take away the dark clouds from the heart. Let them see beyond and through, O God. Let them begin to know your ways, to see and understand how you move, to understand your nature. For, oh, Master, it's so hidden. There's so few that see. There's so few that perceive. Open eyes. For thou art the way, O oh Jesus. Thou art the truth and the life. I want to see thee. I want to see thee. Open my eyes. I want to see Jesus. Can you sing it to him? Open my eyes. I want to see Jesus. Let it be a prayer of your heart. I want to reach out and touch it. And say that I love him. Open my ears, Lord, and cause me to listen. Greeks who came to the disciples says we would see Jesus really it's the presence of God we seek so many things we seek solutions 
We seek teachings. We seek methods. But the only thing is important. Is to know him. I want to see Jesus. When it becomes the heart cry. Forgetting yourself. We spend so long thinking of ourselves. We spend so long, so long meditating on ourselves and our needs. But what does it matter? For when he comes, oh, when he comes, when he comes in his glory and his grace, <laughs> it's so different then. When he reaches into your soul and your heart, opens those inward eyes, unstops those inward ears, and you touch him. Well, that's when the things change. That's when the life of God flows in your soul. It's when the wonder of wonders reaches to the very dead. More and more, as we spend time in his presence, we change from glory to glory. But all knowing that first, first glory, when his presence really comes, when our hearts first see, That's what I want to see. It's so far beyond salvation. Far beyond being baptized with the Spirit. Far beyond experiences. It's when we fall in love with Him. Oh God, there's so few that know that. Let it become a cry of each heart here turn their eyes from everything else that they might know thee the living God let them see thy ways teach them thy ways that they might know thee open their eyes to see your presence and then O oh God show them your glory But, oh Lord, take each one on.
stop this. Oh God, so terrible when they cannot see. Oh Jesus, Jesus, manifest yourself. a soul to know all about him and yet not know him to know so much and yet have so little he is so beautiful so wonderful so glorious but oh Just look upon him. Behold him and see the beauty of Jesus. Heaven's majesty. Lord. Lord, over these coming days, open eyes into a new realm. Oh God, only you can do it. They're just the words of a man. If you don't quicken them to a heart, who will hear? Take that which has been spoken, oh God, 
Quicken it by your Spirit. For it's sheer folly. But I know it's true. I've seen it myself. I've seen. And I speak that which I know. Oh God. But how can it be communicated? Unless thou dost open the heart. How can it reach in unless thou dost do it? You're so wonderful. But oh God, you must do it. Won't you? In your mercy. And your love. And your grace reach in. Lord, work by your Spirit in each heart, each life. Draw each one, I pray. Lord, let that word run till life flows from the depths of the soul. Oh, precious King.